Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two of the Gals Chat podcast. This is your co-host, Amy. And this is your co-host, Laura. Thank you for joining us today. Similar to season one, we're bringing unique voices in the STEM community. This time, we're focusing on career development. With that being said, in today's episode of the podcast, we're interviewing Zara Kiara and talking about resumes and interviews. Zara is a full-stack developer at Salesforce and studied computer science and environmental science at UC Berkeley. And after five years as an engineer, she is now an engineering manager and does a lot of hiring and is going to talk to us more about what managers look for in resumes and during the interview process. So Zara, we're so glad to have you here today. Uh, Please introduce yourself to the community. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Laura and Amy. Um, Yeah, it's really such an honor to be part of such a strong community and Engineering Gals has been a real inspirational to meet other people who are also engineers. They're all very smart and talented and I'm just very honored to be your guest speaker. Um, I started programming my third year of college uh, after taking a geographic information systems course for my environmental science degree. And then shortly after that, I enrolled in my first introductory course. Um, And yeah, I've been basically programming since then and now an engineering manager, as you mentioned. I immediately landed a software development role after college at UC Berkeley. And I've built features ranging from social collaboration tools, such as um, similar to Facebook Workspace, to more e-commerce related CRM tools. And recently, I made the lateral move to become a software engineering manager. I'm still learning the ropes on how to become an effective people's manager and a leader in the space. And it has been really a thrill to help younger engineers grow in their careers. Wow, that's amazing. I think it's, I always love talking to people who have gone to that next level in their career and gotten managerial positions. So I can't wait to ask you more about that. So, Zara, would you be able to tell us how you landed your first management position? Uh, Give us a little bit more of your background story, um, some tips that you might have, and basically how you got started with this career path? Sure. Uh, So, I landed my management position after being a software developer for around five years, now close to six. And three years prior to that, I've actually had a conversation with my manager already how much I thought of being a manager. As a software developer, one of the things that I really loved about being a software developer is building and kind of improving my technical acumen. But in the long term, I really wanted to provide impact in people's career advancement and kind of being more available when it comes to conversations around business strategy. And so it felt like engineering management was a hybridization of those two things that I really loved, which is business strategy and also helping people excel in their current role and helping them advance. Um, So it was definitely kind of a starting conversation when I started becoming more of an expert level in software developer um, as a software engineer. And then um, a couple months back during the pandemic, there was one team in my company that lost a manager. And I just immediately hopped onto that opportunity and asked to be the manager for that team. Oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah. Huge congratulations <laughs> to you getting this new position. When you were looking into getting this managerial role, did you talk to your manager about it beforehand or just kind of hop in when the opportunity came on? Yeah, I've definitely had a lot of conversations with my manager and I wanted to make sure that I debunked some of the myths of what an actual engineering manager's job is. So we had a lot of conversations regarding, for example, a lot of people think that being a manager is all about leadership and all about you calling the shots. But in reality, it's actually a little more difficult in some aspects of of what you are used to as a software developer, where you have less say. So technical related conversations, you'll have less say and less um, autonomy and, and responsibility because that is owned by the software engineers. Um, and if you wanted to drive certain initiatives, that is also difficult to just do as one engineering manager because you need to get buy-in from software engineers and other stakeholders. So that was the biggest takeaway for me was understanding that, okay, if I wanted to become a software engineering manager, it's not just because I want to call the shots and because I want to be a leader. It has to be more than that. And to me, it was being able to help other younger engineers, young professionals to mid-career level engineers the ability to stand out and to strengthen their strengths in order for them to advance in their careers and then also just learn more about the company as a whole and the business strategy behind where what we're doing. So yeah. what steps did you personally take to prepare um, to move into that role? Because you mentioned that you were a software engineer for almost six years um, and that meantime did you go back to school for your MBA did you get certain like certifications what was your way of actively preparing to move into a, like a managerial role instead of maybe advancing or while advancing as an engineer yeah that's a good question one thing that I had to debunk also was I needed additional certification or education to become a manager so a couple years ago I thought I needed to get an MBA so I applied to get an MBA that got rejected to the college of my dreams. So I was like, maybe that's not the right approach. And then I also thought of getting a master's degree in engineering management and sciences, and then kind of thought of a different approach. And that, yeah, basically wasn't, wasn't able to go that direction as well. And so the biggest takeaway for me is that you don't need additional education. It's more you need additional exposure to management. So the first thing I did last year was start interviewing engineering managers and see what their role looked like. And so I was shadowing a few other engineering managers in my company and making sure that I understood what their role was and the responsibilities were. And then I just would have coffee chats with them every month, new managers in my company and other tech industries, just to kind of get a gauge as to is this something that I would be interested in. And then once I finally found an opportunity for me, I actually told my manager that I only wanted to be half engineering manager for at least a quarter so that I got a little bit 
more practice and a little bit more hands-on mentorship for from other managers. So the first couple of months of me becoming a manager, I was actually doubling as an engineer as well. Um, and so it, the the change wasn't as drastic because I had that little cushion of being able to do engineering work and management at the same time. That's so a great decision. I'm so glad you shared that because I think a lot of us do wonder the same thing. Like, should I get my master's? Should I get my MBA or do some sort of courses or certifications to show that I have the capability or the qualifications for this management role? But I, I think the way you definitely leverage, you know, your resources, I think that was a really smart thing to do because you're able to job shadow and then at the same time practice being a manager yourself. So you're already getting that experience. And I think that's a really good tip that I'm going to try to use myself. <laughs> yeah. And what my biggest advice too is if you're interested in management, think of ways that you can help manage your existing team if you're an engineer right now. Is it to facilitate more meetings? So volunteer and lead meetings more? Is it to present more to other managers? So make sure that you're the top person that people know when it comes to demoing certain parts of your engineering projects from the team. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities that engineers can have to get a taste of what a manager role looks like. I see. And then when you were uh, practicing being a manager, how many people were you managing during that time? I was managing the same amount now, except it was half the time. I was managing six people. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. How did you start building the confidence to move to that point where you like have to manage and lead people? Like, were you nervous when you first started or were you already leading meetings before that? I was very nervous. I was already leading meetings beforehand, but it's a whole nother beast to be responsible for the team's vision, the team's impact and the team's growth. Um, so that responsibility on its own made me very intimidated by the role. Um, but it's also an aspect of imposter syndrome that I'm still starting to get better at. And that's that you can tackle the problems that you are trying to solve one step at a time. So I, I may not know all the answers of becoming a good engineering manager, but every day I'm learning more and every day I'm growing and I'm, every day I have a new data point to show that I'm heading the right direction. Okay. Have you had any circumstances where you have had to deal with conflict or re conflict resolution with your team? I have not had crazy big conflict yet. There have been issues where I've needed to provided feedback, construct constructive feedback to certain team members in the team. So what I stand by in terms of strategies as to how to provide good feedback is the SBI approach. So that's situation, behavior, and impact. So when you're providing a constructive feedback to someone, you want to be able to describe the situation. So what happened? The behavior. So what was their behavior that, that needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be discussed? 
and then the impact. So based on their behavior, what what was the actual impact of that? And um, why do we need to discuss it? And with that, they're able to kind of see things in a more observable manner instead of just saying, oh, you did this poorly. They know exactly what they did poorly or I, I wouldn't even say poorly. They know exactly what areas of growth they, that they need to focus on and um, provide them an impact of, okay, well, if you continue to do this, then it's going to drive a lot of inefficiencies in the work that we're doing, and it can lead to a lot of people feeling not heard, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's always good to use the SBI framework when it comes to conflict. And yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I haven't experienced conflict just yet. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> But that's good that you also have a way already in mind on how to deal with it. Is that something you learned through trainings at work or um, how did you come about that? Yeah, there's a lot of research behind just being able to provide quantifiable, observable data for people when it comes to feedback because it helps them understand exactly what they need to focus on. And alternatively, I think this is also important for non-managers to provide feedback to their managers so that they can grow. Um, so it's vice versa. Anyone can use that framework, not just managers. Oh, yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, I loved listening about your journey, how you got into your managerial role. I'm learning so much. When you're on the other side of the table hiring people, what is something you look for in their resumes? Sure, that's really an, an important question to ask, especially if you're looking to get hired as a software developer right out of college. The biggest thing that I look for is a metric-driven resume. And what I mean by that is you're able to tailor your story and provide evidential um, metrics that back up those accomplishments. So if, for example, you've... Um, done some other internship related uh, responsibilities and you are able to provide some record of your accomplishments in that internship, it's a proficient way to say like, yes, I did this, I was able to build this feature, but then there's another level of accomplishment where you're able to provide actual data. So how many users were able to um, utilize that feature that you created? Was it 1 million active users, 2 million active users, and how much revenue did that drive the startup or the company? And when I see that type of resume, I can see holistically that that person not only is a great engineer, but they're able to create a story behind the work that they did, why it's impactful at a business standpoint, and just able to really grasp more about the impact that the, the work that they did. Um, so that's one thing that I look for in a resume. Another is just their personality. So if they have their profile picture, then it provides me more of like a hum hu humanistic or human approach of that person. Um, if they provide QR codes of their project, that, that's also another really great way for me to understand more about the things that they've worked on. So I've seen resumes where they'll send a QR code as part of their resume. And if I scan it on my phone, then I'll have like their app project and I can I can play their their app that 
a game that they built out. And to me, that's a really cool interactive way to make your resume and showcase all the amazing work that you've done. Wow, that's a really cool way to showcase your work. I actually have never used a QR code and I was always curious about having my picture on the resume because generally I thought that that's what companies didn't want. But that's interesting to know that you can definitely do that. Yeah, so I have a question with the QR codes or I guess building that resume because I know I feel like where people have conflict is they want to keep it ATS friendly. I think those are the acronyms. So when it goes into the online application, like they want to make sure that it goes through. Mm -hmm. So do you know if um, having QR codes or like tailoring in a way that's going to be able to portray your personality and kind of show more of who you are? um, Mm -hmm. Where where does that line (laughs) fall? Right. I have actually haven't heard any issues of QR codes or photos in resumes when it comes to submitting it online. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in person, for example, when I'm at a conference and I'm looking into different ranges of candidates to hire and they give me the resume in person, it's nice to see some of the work that they've done already on their resume. But alternatively, I would definitely check to see if there's any disclaimers in the Um, actual portal that you're submitting your resume to if it says like only have you know 12 inch font aerial and no photos or qr codes then definitely stick to that guideline and perhaps add an additional informational letter such as like a cover letter if you want to stand out a little bit more okay so we could put the qr code on our cover letter instead of our resume that's like another way of doing it Mm -hmm. yeah But I actually haven't really heard of um, applications turning down resumes that had photos. But maybe it's just our application system where I work. Mm -hmm. So another question that I have is in regards to um, the metrics that you want to add on your resume. I know sometimes people... I guess more like engineers or people who are more on the back end work of things, they don't really get to see the full result of their uh, final product. So I guess the business Mm -hmm. impact that it actually has. What recommendation do you have um, in order, I guess, to obtain that data? Is that something that I guess you go to the manager for um, or what is an efficient way of keeping keeping track of of those results? Right. That's a good question. Business impact can definitely be more long term. So let's say if your internship only lasted for three months and they haven't launched that feature, then there's no way for you to provide that success metric. But Mm -hmm. another way to showcase uh, metrics is let's say you created a feature that was launched three months later. Perhaps it was one of the most um, highly impactful feature in the priority list of the product manager or the company. You can tailor it in a way where you're not showcasing the actual business impact, but more of the business strategy behind it. So was it what are the expected results that are going to come out of that feature would also be an interesting take on on that metric. And it would be a cool conversation to have, too, as well with a company that maybe has a similar feature that they're trying to build or a competitor of something that you've already worked at. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's really helpful. 
Yeah, that's good to know. Um, I would love to hear you talk more about, you know, how can people stand out during the interview process? Right now, you know, because of COVID, a lot of people are interviewing through the phone or Mm -hmm. even on Zoom. What are some tips that you can give to people on how they can, you know, stand out on these virtual interviews? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, The first thing I would address is the pandemic has definitely created a lot of impact in people's lives, whether it be positive because they're able to work from home more and also negative. There's a lot of people that are looking for jobs and income has been tight to a lot of families and individuals. And so being open and honest in your interviews that not everything is pixel perfect in the moment. And if, for example, a mother is interviewing an engineering uh, can, uh, an engineering role and their kid is in the background, that it's okay to acknowledge those type of situations and scenarios. And it creates a, an area of compassion and empathy from both sides. So I always start by saying like, I apologize. Sometimes my dog is going to bark. Is that okay? Um, because mm-hmm. it, it keeps things light. And it's like, everyone is experiencing things right now in the pandemic. And it's okay. Um, in terms of your question of how to stand out during virtual interviews, one thing is to make sure you have good lighting, obviously, make sure that you're going on time, even though it's just a virtual call. And there's certain cues that you can also look into in terms of having an inclusive mindset. Like sometimes now during interviews, it's hard to know when someone's about to speak. So it's okay if there's pauses and it's actually better so that you can actively listen and hear someone out. So um, make sure that you're able to give that other person some time to speak. And if there's a little bit of a pause, that's okay. Um, And yeah, I think I think the biggest the biggest takeaway from this pandemic is just to be honest and to try to be as inclusive as possible when you're on a virtual call. Okay, that's good to know. And you're right, there's so many things that happen with us at home. There's other family members or, you know, your dog or your kids. So I think that that's a really good point to just mention it and just be honest about it because um, we all are dealing with this in our own ways. Do you have any tips for like technical versus interpersonal skills when like talking about them in an interview or kind of like specific questions that uh, you would ask as a hiring manager? Sure. Technical interviews, the biggest mistake that I see candidates do is to attack the problem right away without really analyzing and asking questions. Um, So my biggest advice is always validate your assumptions when it comes to engineering questions. So if someone is asking you to code, for example, a sort sort rule um, algorithm, you want to be able to go step by step with the interviewer and be able to provide clarity as to where you need to head towards. So I always say that the first five to 10 minutes of your interview, let's say you have 30 minutes of a technical interview should be 
to think through the problem and ask the right questions before you actually code. So that's my biggest technical advice because I see a lot of candidates gets really excited to build something out and then only to realize that there was a guideline or a rule or a constraint that the interviewing the interviewer already mentioned and they forgot to, to include it in their code or they forgot to clarify it. And so now they're building something that's totally not what was expected. And I think that also intersects with interpersonal skills and it's just to be able to ask the right questions. I always am very impressed with candidates who are able to ask the right questions and to be active active listeners and active speakers. So um, when they're interviewing, they're able to navigate the problems in a way that helps the interviewer understand more of their mindset, but also helps them be able to solve the problem. Because ultimately, my goal as an interviewer is to understand how you think and how you process um, the problem and not so much that if you can solve the problem. Have you ever ran into the issue or what would you recommend doing if a company like gives you an offer right there during the interview and brings up like salary that first yeah. during that first initial interview? Yeah, I've actually a- had that happen to me once and I wasn't sure if that's a normal thing or not. I have not run across that, but obviously every engineering industry is different. For technical interviews for software engineering, usually what happens is you'll have your offer after your interviews. But let's say you did for some reason get your offer after your technical interview. I definitely would recommend having something in mind when it comes to negotiating your salary. And it really depends. If you are a new grad, it usually is more difficult to be able to negotiate salary-wise just because perhaps you just never had the experience before. Maybe you've had some internships, but that's like your first full-time job. But if you are a new grad engineer and you have other offers, that's a potential way to leverage your salary and to negotiate in that regard. But then another way to negotiate your whole compensation package is through other areas, such as maybe you can negotiate your 401k match. So does the company uh, provide a way to match your 401k more? Um, than what they're initially providing? Um, Is there a way for you to get education reimbursement? So maybe you you won't get a salary increase, but they can help you with um, obtaining a master's degree or certificates degree, depending on how long you are going to stay at the company. Um, So I always, I always say to be flexible with your negotiation tactic and not just focus on your salary because there's other opportunities that you can raise on the table yeah I agree I think that's very true but yeah I'm glad that you shared those tips about interviewing and how you as a manager actually like to see people ask questions because I get a little nervous and I'm always worried that oh maybe I shouldn't ask those questions because it seems that I didn't understand the question but I think it makes so much more sense, like you said, that to just ask so that you have a better idea on where 
they would like you to, you know, focus on whether it's like a situational question, behavioral question, or even a technical question. So I think that was a really good tip. Um, Yeah, just like to add on to what you said, Amy, in terms of asking the right questions and feeling scared of or a little bit, yeah, just feeling like your question is silly. Another thing that I've noticed is some candidates don't take the time to actually draw things out or create diagrams for themselves because some of the problems that we ask are meant to challenge your your brain in a way that you have to write something down or make calculations. And um, sometimes it's not even possible to do it all in your brain unless you're really, really <laughs> talented in, in some regard in that area. Um, so don't be afraid to, to take a piece of paper and just show them how it looks like what you're, what you're creating and like how, how you're envisioning the problem to look like to solve. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think one time I was looking into interviewing and interviewing tips and somebody said like one way to calm your nerves is to think of it not as an interrogation, but as a conversation. Mm. So you're just having a conversation with the other people across the table or in the screen now. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I think it's it creates kind of a, you know, just a discussion and just two people with great minds. And it's funny because now that I'm a manager, I still get intimidated by interviewing other people because I want them to love our company. I want them to understand the problem so that they're better able to tackle it. And when I talk to other managers about this, it's funny because I'm not alone. A lot of managers are intimidated by interviewing. (laughs) Yeah, that, that is so true. When it comes to work-life balance and you know that the company you're applying to or interviewing for is very much work, 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 you know, everybody's working overtime, um, how do you go about talking about that? Do you bring that up in the interview when you're negotiating the salary and maybe you do want time off or does that look bad to your company if you are talking about, you know, maybe you do want more days off because to people, work-life balance is really important, you know, and I just want to get a better idea of, you know, your perspective on that end when somebody is coming to you and asking about that. Right. In my opinion, and personally, I've been very grateful to be in a company where work-life balance is valued. We definitely take that very seriously and want to make sure that we don't get burned out and our employees are having a great work-life balance. Um, but that's definitely a great question to ask during your, your interview. So how are team dynamics? Are you expected to always have uh, your phone all the time during weekends in case something breaks? Is there on-call duty? So um as a software engineer, sometimes companies will create these on-call duties where there's specific people that have to be on call in case something breaks. Um, How often does that happen? How often am I going to be on call? So those are really good questions to ask uh, on your interview. And then also, yeah, part of your compensation package is your paid time off or the amount of leave that you have. And um, what is the expectation on that? 
Okay, so that's good to know. Um, is there anything else that you would recommend people would ask after the interview? Uh, I love that question, actually, <laughs> because it shows that more more often or not, the, the things that you don't know are the things that you don't know and not the things that you know that you don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so the thing that I really love people ask is what does success look like in this role in your company? Mm. And that kind of provides you an idea of like, okay, this is the things, the things that I need to focus on the first few days that I joined the company. And overall, this is the biggest priority for the company. And so asking that question, you're able to kind of get a lot of feedback before you even start. Another thing is kind of painting how your day looks like on a typical day. Like how, how does a typical software engineer routine look like in your company? Like how many hours do they spend on this type of work? How many hours do they spend on this type of work? And that kind of gives you more of an idea of like how you can uh, divide your, your tasks and what is expected of you as well. Those are my two favorite questions. <laughs> Yeah, I think those are really good questions. And because then you can also get an idea of what are they expecting and how can you excel in that role? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good one. Do you have any tips for anyone who's transitioning from a different career path? Because I know usually in the tech company, there's a software engineer or as part of the team, there's a product manager or a UX designer. Um, I don't know if that's the type of group that you work with, but I know that uh, for people who might be wanting to get into tech or software development, um, do you have any tips for for those who don't come from that background? Yeah, I, my biggest advice is capitalize on your multifaceted characteristics because that's what's going to make you unique. And so I actually came from an environmental science background and then moved over to computer science really late in college. And so I capitalized on the fact that I knew more about sustainability and I knew more about ethics and how that translates to tech um, in my software engineering interviews. And it really created a huge highlight because I wasn't just a typical four-year new grad who studied computer science. And so my biggest advice is to be able to see exactly what your unique experiences are and how they can positively impact your new role. So whether it be that you're moving from software engineering to UX design, that has a huge asset on its own because you know how to technically build things from scratch and that can translate to being a better designer because you knew, you know all the constraints of building something and so just listing out those really amazing strengths that you have because you have a different background is awesome I have a burning question and that <laughs> is for people you know who lost their jobs during the COVID and this pandemic and have like this gap in their resume mm -hmm. what advice would you give to them um, you know how what could people do about that um, mm -hmm. now that there you know more job opportunities are coming slowly uh, in 2021 mm -hmm. 
The first thing I have to say is mindset. Like it's definitely not you and you're not alone. There's so many people that lost their job and the fact that we're being open and honest about it, that people are having hardships and people need opportunities is the first step to acknowledging and being able to move forward. And the second thing is, I feel like gaps are also an area of opportunity to explore your passion. So even if it's not directly related to your day-to-day job, you can find a passion and build from that. So one example I have is a friend of mine wanted to move to product management as a software engineer. And she had a huge gap because she um, she was let go in her company. And what she ended up doing was utilizing the things that she did on Instagram, content creation and marketing and being able to build her resume from the work that she did that was not related to product management, but was able to um, shape it in a way that it was. Um, and also pro bono work. I feel like since there's so many things happening right now in the world, whether it be hospitals need help, you know, creating and building features to efficiently distribute vaccines better or just helping other small businesses out. I think that's another way to to see this the gap in your resume as an area of opportunity. And if you can't find an opportunity too, I think that's also okay. I think it's okay to have a few months or even a year of not having anything and just flat out be honest and, and say it was a hard year. Wow, <laughs> I focused okay. on my family. My family had, you know, my, like, I don't know who was affected in COVID, but like maybe that's something that affected your family and it's something that you can openly, honestly communicate. That's so good to know. So thanks for sharing that. I think that might help a lot of people in our community yeah. who unfortunately did have, you know, uh, lose their jobs or have gaps time off. Yeah. And I, I want to also say that I feel very fortunate and lucky to still have a job to still be in a position where I'm able to, to look through interviews and to mentor people. So if anyone wants to get feedback on their resumes, or just need someone to reach out when it comes to finding a job in tech, feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to start a conversation. So outside of, I feel like this is my favorite question, uh, but outside of like doing, outside of working, uh, what is something that you personally like to do to relax or take care of yourself and I guess continue being the best manager that you can be for, for your job and for yourself? Yeah, I, first off, I love Instagram. I'm always on Instagram, just like everyone now these days because of the pandemic and being able to connect with like-minded, inspirational women in tech, engineers. And so I've always been a fan of engineering gals um, and being able to connect with people one-on-one through the power of social media. And I also really love content creation and being able to hone in my writing skills, very minimal writing skills mm-hmm. by blogging and writing content on Instagram. So that's been kind of my side passion as of now. And then I also really love sewing. Um, That's something that I've been really into (laughs) because I, I love the idea of being able to make something from scratch and not having to rely on buying something. 
and building something on my own and being able to wear it and cooking. Uh, yeah, everyone I feel like has been a chef these days. Yes. <laughs> I gave it an attempt. It didn't really work out for me. Oh. <laughs> the hype didn't last long. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's well, okay. Really like COVID recipes, COVID trends. Yeah. I definitely yeah. hopped in the banana bread trend. Oh, yes. Mm. The bread. Yeah. The bacon coffee. bread. The whipped coffee was the Oh, tea. yes. Yes. <laughs> what is it? The dolce? Dol- dolce? Dalgona or something? Dalgona. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, I think most people just know it as like the whipped coffee, but it is, I think that is the official name, the dolce Dalgona. coffee or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really important to have self-care and self-love in your routine to be better at your job so definitely prioritize that oh that's awesome okay so now that you're you know you got this really cool management position um but what does the future hold from you here on out huh i haven't really thought of that um right now i'm just really in the learning stage maybe making sure that i'm growing and learning in my new role and also being able to document what I learn and share it to others because I believe that my trials and tribulations can be learned through others without having to actually experience it. So if they just read the things that I had to deal with, they don't have to necessarily fail at the same way to succeed. And so for me, it's more about sharing what I learn and enjoying the process. But I have I have no thought of exactly what I want. (laughs) Yeah, I love that though. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before we wrap it up, uh, do you want to tell our listeners where they can connect with you, how they can find you? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at Zara Kiara. So just my full first name. And yeah, as I mentioned, I'd love to talk to people who, you know, are having some hardships right now, finding a job and helping you build your resume and get back on traction. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. I feel like this whole time just, it flew. Like the whole episode just flew past (laughs) us. I was just learning the entire time and you have so many amazing, you know, uh, great tips and information for us. So I found it really helpful. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm so glad we got to chat. Yeah, of course. Well, that was it for this week's episode. Uh, Let us know if you enjoyed the first episode of season two and leave us a review if you found it helpful as well. We'll talk to you next Monday.